mindfulness mode. Start with your reason for doing it. The purpose of it is what makes it meaningful. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome to the show. I'm going to tell you that I've got a very interesting and fascinating guest with me today. He's done so many things. He he sold used golf balls. That was one of his first businesses. He's launched a technology company. He's worked in aerospace and later became an executive in a large publicly traded aerospace organization. And then he had a very successful blog in the Christian space and a podcast as well. And now he works completely in podcasting. He's all about all things podcasting. And one of the things that he does is he has a place where you can find you can find a, a podcast you might want to be a guest on, or you can, if you're a podcaster yourself, you can find guests there. And it's totally awesome. I mean, I use it all the time. It's called Pod Match, and it's really fantastic. And he is uh, a, a person who finds his home at uh, podpros.com. I'm here today with Alex Sanfilippo, and it's so exciting to have you here, Alex. So, Tell me, are you in mindfulness mode today? Bruce, I'm definitely in mindfulness mode and honored to be here with you. That's great. So what does mindfulness mean to you, Alex? So to me, if I look at the the actual definition of it, it's strictly the state of being aware of something. I like to put more than that into it, right? So like, what is something? Because that's a little bit unspecific. So for me, I've always viewed mindfulness as intentionally knowing where I'm going while being able to maintain the present, being here. And I like to say being where my feet are, which means right now I'm here with you. So I'm not thinking about where I want to be in three years from now in this moment, right? Later on, there's time for that, right? And that's where some reflection comes into this idea of mindfulness. But right now, I'm here where my feet are knowing this is part of the journey of where I want my life to end up, but enjoying every second of it along the way. And that's my maybe overly complicated definition of mindfulness, but that is how my brain works. Yeah, it makes sense. I want to take you back to age 10 when you were living in the neighborhood and there was this opportunity. Where did this arrive? Did somebody suggest this to you or did you just think it up on your, on your own? Hey, here's some golf balls. Maybe I can sell them. Tell me this story. Well, I, I happen to come from a family of entrepreneurs. And at, at this point in my life, being 10 years old, I'll call myself, for lack of a better term, very self-aware at that age. Uh, I didn't have any like complex of, of being less than, but I did realize around me, even at 10 years old, that some of my friends in the neighborhood, because we had a, we grew up in a neighborhood with just, I don't know how many kids or how there were so many kids. I don't know if there was even adults in the neighborhood. There were so many kids, though. But I noticed a lot of them were really good at sports. Others were really good at, uh, they were really good at school. Some were good at video games. And like my brothers were all great musicians. And I realized like I didn't really fit into any of those. Like I could kind of hold my own a little bit, but I could tell I wasn't nearly as good at any of those things as anyone else. And I was just remembering that that was like, for me, again, it didn't cause any issues, but I just remember being like, man, I, I guess I haven't figured out like where I fit in or I'm not trying hard enough. I don't know what's going on here. And I'll never forget it. One day though, we were out on the golf course because there's a golf course in the neighborhood. And, uh, and obviously we went to the golf course because our parents told us not to. So that's naturally the first place every child in the neighborhood runs to. Well, there happened to be a golf ball sitting there. And that's usually not the case. Usually you'd see them in the bushes or in the water. But it was just sitting there. I picked it up and a, golf, a golfer drove by on a cart and, and said, hey, kid, what does that golf ball say on it? Turned it around and I said, Titleist Pro V1. And he goes, I'll give you $3 for it. And he gave me $3 and I gave him the golf ball. And for the first time in my life, a light bulb went off. It said, you know what? 
we need to find more of these. So I grabbed all the kids that were hanging out with me, some of my brothers, some neighbors and stuff. I was like, we've got to start going through the lakes. We got we to gotta clean them up. We'll do this a couple nights a week. We'll clean them up on Saturday morning. We'll, we'll come out here and sell them. And when we started doing that, we actually started making good money for 10-year-old kids growing up in the, the, the 90s. And uh, I'll never forget it, though, going back to like full circle here on that story. It was the first time I felt like I found something I was good at. We never said, okay, Alex is in charge or I'm going to kind of run this side of it. It just naturally fell that way. And kids were like, what can my role be? What do you want me to do? Hey, can you make sure that you're the one talking to the golfers? You're better at selling these to them. They're trying to negotiate with us. And we're 10, right? It was all these different things that were happening. But in that moment, I, I realized, again, being self-aware, maybe an awkward, weird kid at 10 for noticing this. But I love this idea of entrepreneurship and business. And that was really my first introduction to any of that. Right. And then you got excited about real estate. I did. Yeah, yeah. It was actually early years of high school. So yeah. fast forward a little bit. I, I bought and sold stuff on eBay, a lot of which being toys. Like I really loved uh, like G.I. Joe was a really fun one. And I realized that, hey, you can buy like a lot of them and then take the ones you want and sell the rest of them back on eBay. And there's a way to make money doing that. Right. So sure. little things along the way. But at one point uh, I got good on the computer because of that. And my dad had a friend that was doing something in real estate. And I, I think I was 15 at the time. Uh, all those numbers get a little fuzzy, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Yeah, um, I do. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think I was 15 and, uh, he was just saying, hey, Alex is good on computers. Well, they're trying to develop some tech to build virtual tours of homes. And now we're used to things like the Zillow's of the world where you can click into a room and drag the mouse around and see everything. Uh, again, going back to, this was probably the early two thousands. Like that wasn't really a thing yet. No, and so we wasn't. figured out how to, yeah, we figured out how to build out this technology. So we're like pioneering it. And so we started building out virtual tours of homes. And at one point, it was me and two, uh, three other editors and a handful of photographers going out and doing this. And we we're posting directly to the MLS. Super fun. Just enjoyed that throughout high school. And I was still a, a full-time student, part-time worker with this startup. But it was something I really enjoyed. And it was great to have income. And the thing is, going back to that story, I wasn't really – like I wasn't a bad student. But I wasn't very good. As hard as I tried, I like never got great grades. But I was doing really well on the business front. So I always just knew – what kept me motivated during the week was actually the work, not the school. Oh, yeah. And uh, did you ever have any any fails? Like, did you ever have anything like, oh, man, this just really, really stopped me in my tracks? Oh, yeah. I mean, two. I'll share one funny one and then one serious one. I don't think I've actually ever shared this one before. But at one point, uh, I was getting to the age where there's a lot of girls in my life. And I realized they all really like coach purses at that point. So I bought a bunch of coach purses. Didn't do super well on those. Um, <laughs> but that's a little side note, right? I bought a lot of them. And didn't make a lot. But uh, a more serious one is the real estate venture. Yeah. Because as soon as I turned 18, I was ready to invest in real estate. Because think about it. I've been looking at it day in, day out throughout high school, asking questions for the, to the photographers. I was usually behind a computer and was just like, man, this is like a great vehicle to create wealth. And so I invested like as soon as I possibly could. Well, no secret now, 2007, 8, 9 happened, right? And yeah. I was investing before that, like just before that. And so I went from being a guy who was doing really well for my age. Like, I think I'd say that, right? Yeah, for and, sure. And going from that to doing really bad. So out of high school, starting some college classes, investing in real estate, having this company, the company basically just is just gone, right? Like the, yeah. I, the, the, I had a partner in it who ended up taking the technology, which was fine. Cause I'm like, man, there's nothing left here. Take this and, and run with it. Do what you can if you want to try to do something. I don't think he was able to make it work either. Uh, and then on the flip side, being in, invested in real estate, I moved into what was supposed to be one of my rental properties. And I was totally upside down in that mortgage, just getting like destroyed. And I would say that's the first of many failures, but that one being still to this day, the biggest one, the one that had the biggest effect on me as a human. And do you feel like 
there was something that pulled you through that? Like what kept it from just pulling you completely down so that you couldn't move forward? Yeah. I want to go back to the age of 10 real quick, because Mm -hmm. at that point, like I mentioned, I kind of discovered this is what I'm good at. And I became more of a, for lack of a better term, a natural leader. Mm-hmm. The other kids in the neighborhood were just like, what do we do? How do we do this? What should I do, Alex? Tell us what to do. And that trend followed all the way through all this business I was doing. So all the time, people were just kind of looking at me that way. And it, it put me in my own mind on a bit of a pedestal. And I had this dream. I was like, you know what? I want to be a Forbes 30 under 30. Like that was what I wanted to do. And I was like, real estate, is, real estate and technology is going to be my lane, which still to this day makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I had all that mindset thinking that it was all going to be about Alex. It's all me. And I started getting a little bit, definitely conceited would be a word, but also like self-consumed about like what I wanted. And it wasn't about the people in my life anymore. And because of that, I had shallow relationships, shallow friendships, and that's just kind of comes with it. But when that all crashed, the first thing you'll learn about shallow friends is they're gone when the times aren't good, right? Yeah, Same with sure. the relationship. So any girls I had in my life, they, they were gone as well because like, oh, he doesn't have any money anymore, right? Like yeah. all these things kind of come to an end in my dream of being that Forbes 30 under 30 was, was crushed. I, I share this story now as that was the lowest point in my life, yet it's the point I'm most thankful for because I wouldn't be here talking to you today, Bruce, and to the listeners of Mindfulness Mode if I didn't go through all of that. It was needed. And what got me through it actually was, was one day, again, I was kind of down my luck, didn't have a lot of friends, so going to get the physical mail was a fun act for me in my, name, my house, right? So I go get the mail. This is back in the 2000s, like when you, know, you actually got stuff you wanted. So I was looking through it, and something was actually a postcard for a church that was down the street from, like, I, I recognized the address. I'm like, I could walk there from where I live, and it must be in a warehouse, and sure enough, it was. But um, I remember my upbringing. I, I was brought up in, in church, but it kind of slipped away from that as I got more focused in business, and it just wasn't a priority in my life. And uh, I, I just remember, the, you know what? I remember being accepted there, and now I feel like no one really accepts me, and I'm, I'm, I'm lonely, I'm depressed, I'm anxious about where the future is going. I can't even afford school anymore, right? Like, there's all these things. And I remember it took me a few weeks, Bruce, to, like, get the courage to actually go because I assumed I'm going to walk in there and these people are going to judge me just like everyone else in my life as a failure because that's what I am. And that's the mindset that I carried. Mm-hmm. And when I, I'll never forget that when I walked in there, I was not only accepted, but like I truly found a relationship with Jesus. And I don't mean to turn this into like a, a faith-based podcast or anything like that, right, episode. But for me, that's the foundation of my life. And at that point, when I really dove back into the Bible, into that relationship and the friendships I started building, I realized that I had been wrong all along. I had the right skill set and what I was supposed to do in my life, but it was not for me. It was for other people. And again, I'll say like that was the lowest point in my life, but it also was the foundation for who I was actually supposed to be. And I could not be more thankful for that now. Oh, wow. And then a little later, you started that Christian blog. Was that connected to the church? Were you inspired to do that because of this church? You know, I'll say that it kind of, again, that's kind of set that in motion. But what was really inspired me to do that was I started having a bunch of friends just reach out. And they're like, again, that I knew before I kind of changed into a different, better person, right? Before that whole self-discovery and and faith process, they were reaching out when they hit bad times. Like, dude, how are you like, how are you doing well? And they didn't mean financially. They meant like me as a person. Like, how am I not stressed and depressed all the time? And so I just started sharing it with them and people started asking for more than a text message. And so I just started writing it on a blog and one thing led to another. And that just really took off over a few years. And we had a bunch of people writing on it, but it was all around the idea of like, can we help people get out of the tough times that they're facing? And it just, it did very well. And 
it, it was something that never brought in a dollar. And that was the idea for it. Like we didn't want to make money with it. It was just, can we help people go on the journey that we've gone on and not feel alone in the process? Right. Cool. And during all this time, what was your relationship like with your dad? Yeah. So my, my dad and I, interestingly enough, when I was young, again, him being an entrepreneur, he was an early stage entrepreneur when I was a kid. So weirdly enough, I didn't see my dad much. There was wow. many days where he was gone. I woke up and gone when I was going to bed and he came home, slept and just did it again. Right. Like, and not to say he was a bad dad when he was there, he was there and did a very good job of that. He just wasn't there a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, but later in life, I'd say during my teen years and stuff, and even this time, it, we weren't necessarily close, but uh, we always had a decent friendship. But it's funny now, like um, I'm in my at time, time of recording, I'm in my mid 30s mm -hmm. and my dad and I are closer than we've ever been. So it's interesting at that point, he was kind of there, but not really like um, a, a big influence in my life. He was just there at that point. Oh, that's, that's awesome. So it sounds like he kind of helped you and got you something in the aerospace uh, area. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that kind of, that, that overlaps with like when I started the blog and stuff like that, that was like just a side hustle thing. Like I said, it was just fun. I, I liked, I like helping inspiring people. But, uh, as soon as the economy wrecked, I called my dad who happened to be in the aerospace industry. And I was like, Hey, dude, I'm like, I'm doing real bad. And he's like, Oh man, I'm sorry. Let me know if you need anything. Again, my dad and I have a good relationship. He's like, if you need something, I need, if you need help, let me know. And I've always been fairly independent. I don't know if that's my upbringing or not, but I'm like, I think I got it. I'm going to be okay. I'm just going to hate my life for a while. It's more or less the conversation. I'm like, how's your industry? And he's like, it's, it's doing good. He's like, our sector has not been effective, ne affected negatively at all. I was like, can you get me a job? He's like, I can probably get you an interview somewhere. So <laughs> yeah. that's kind of my introduction to working in aerospace, which I, I got a part-time receiving clerk job, which for everyone listening, it's translation for I broke down boxes and took out people's <laughs> trash. But you know what? I got my foot in the door in a company that wasn't going to go belly under like or belly up like my company had. Yeah, yeah. And then you ended up moving up and becoming a senior exec. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, you know, it was I, I loved corporate. I think a lot of people share differently, but it's something that I, I thoroughly enjoyed like every minute of it. I shouldn't say that. I enjoyed 90% of the minutes of it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was over a 15-year period. I went from that part-time guy to working my way up to the executive level. And the company was small and private when I first started, but it ended being multi-billion in public when I left. It was a really great way to just experience corporate, like through and through, like both sides of it. It was, it was a lot of fun. So then you jumped out of corporate and you ended up just in this whole podcast space. How did that happen? Yeah. So year, and it's a good question. Year 12 of the, of me being in the aerospace job, that's when we went public mm -hmm. and something happens when you go public. Again, it's probably the goal of most companies. And really like we achieved, like, like it was really great what we were able to accomplish, like very cool. But when you hit that point and now there's a board and there's shareholders and there's all this extra accountability, like there's not a lot of flexibility. And even though I was at the executive level, I don't mean this to sound rude or mean in any way, but I felt like a cog in the system. Like I didn't really have any room to flex anymore. And the one thing I realized at that point was that I was still an entrepreneur. I was just working in an organization, which now is technically, I think, been coined entrepreneur. Um, sounds weird to say, but you know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. basically an entrepreneur working in an organization. And when I lost the ability to, to have these creative ideas and try new things, and now I had to report to all these people and it was six to eight months before anything would happen, I, it, I, I lost the fire I had for it because we had pretty much achieved the maximum amount of success we'd ever be able to. And, yeah. and maybe there's still some, but it would be much smaller, right? Mm -hmm. At that point, I just realized it was time to, to leave. Now, I said that's year 12 and I didn't leave till year 15. I, I tried a bunch of little side hustles uh, along the way and it was like kind of failure after failure after failure. And I literally thought, Bruce, at one point, I'm like, 
maybe I'm not cut out for this entrepreneurship thing anymore. And that's when I got like the, I don't know if it's a brilliant idea or a crazy idea or what it was, but I was like, I'm going to start a podcast. Get this. This is crazy. Start a podcast to talk to people who had successfully left a nine to five job to become entrepreneurs and how they did it so that yeah. I can learn how to do it. Of so and then course. I can figure out what to do. That so makes it was complete free, sense. Okay, good. Yeah. Free, free coaching, right? Like getting to talk to just some amazing people, which by the way, side note here, Bruce, you've done such a good job with mindfulness mode. First off, I think you started 2015 if I scroll back far yeah, enough. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So every year in podcasting is like seven years. So at this point, as as we're recording this, this the show is basically 60 years old or more, um, wow. which is pretty amazing. <laughs> um, but I was listening to an episode you did with a guy named Noah uh, Hutton, maybe? Yeah. Uh, it was uh, growing a creative business. And that episode aired on 3-27-2023. And I encourage anyone listening to this, go back and dive into that because it is just really high quality content. Really enjoyed hearing his stories and his his journey along the way. But I encourage everyone, like I said, go back and check that out because I think that it's 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 really valuable. Um, and I lost track of what I was saying. I'm so sorry. Where was yeah, I? No, no, no. That's 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 no problem. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate yeah. your uh, your thumbs up about the podcast. That's that's really great. And then now you uh, you started doing a lot of speaking and coaching, and you were just kind of dabbling in that space with the podcasting and everything. And and you did do quite a bit of speaking, didn't you? At that point. Yeah. And so thank you. That that reminds me where I, where I was going with that story. That like when I started the podcast, like. It, it just really took off. And so I started getting on stages and, and all that. And if I could simplify entrepreneurship, I know this isn't necessarily about that, but to, to simplify it in four steps, it's find an area of passion, get into that community of the area of passion, find a problem that community is struggling with, and then offer a solution to it. And so for me, I realized like I became passionate about podcasting. I love the people in this space. I get to talk to people like Bruce, like how incredible is this? And so I dove into the community. I started speaking and doing all that. And I just started asking them what they're struggling with and ultimately end up creating a solution for it. I didn't start my podcast with the intent of becoming a full-time podcasting guy, but it just ended up being what I fell in love with. And so I, I jumped into that when I really learned how to be an entrepreneur. And that's kind of the, the full circle journey, if you will. And now you're really looked up to in the podcasting space because you have created this tool to connect podcast hosts to podcast guests. And it's a really effective tool. Other people have tried and not really had that much success, but yours is very successful. So why do you think you were able to nail it that way? Just, I suppose, a lot of your past experience. Yeah, you know, actually, weirdly, thank you, first off, Bruce. It means a lot to hear uh, from, from you. You've done such a good job in the space and have some influence yourself here. Um, I, I'm shocked at how little of my aerospace like experience and what I learned in 15 years of big business translated into startup world. So it, it was very little. But I mean, some of the, 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 thing, the basics of like understanding how to write up an SOP, a standard operating procedure, how to do training, how to document, right, how to actually structure a company. I had that stuff, but ultimately what really set it apart, and this is what I believe at least, was my willingness to get into the community and to be one of the people. A lot of other people that have done podcasting softwares that haven't done well are the ones that put a wall up and they say, I do not want to talk to anyone who uses my software. And immediately when you do that consciously or subconsciously, you're creating this divide and it doesn't feel human anymore. And also you lose touch with what it is that you're actually offering somebody. Like you don't even know if you're actually delivering on the problem, like the solution of the problem that they're struggling with. And so for me, still to this day, multiple times every week, I am getting on calls with individuals in podcasting to talk to them about what they have going on, to see what they're struggling with, to see if what I'm doing is helping. And so for us, it's just a matter of listening and then responding 
to what we're hearing. I think that's really what separated us because we, I don't have the best software in the world. It's not the prettiest. It's not the fastest, right? Like it's none of those things. I'm not downplaying what I have, but what we do have is a community and people who care and we're there to support them. I think that's really what's, again, separated us from the bunch. And so these days, what do you think one of the biggest uh, mistakes is that podcasters make? As a podcaster, I think it's similar to what I was just sharing. It's their lack of willingness to talk to a listener. Ah, I I think that many times we look at, we talk about downloads a lot, but we have to remember that a download is tied to a listener. So if someone's downloading your podcast, that's, that's a human, that's a listener. And if you can find ways to engage with them and talk with them, you can learn a lot. You can build community, but you can also find out what they love and don't love about your show, right? So you can continuously work on improving it. But I find most podcasters, they're not even sure how to begin that process. And some are just like, man, I started a podcast so I didn't have to talk to people other than the person on the show with me, <laughs> uh, which is really funny to me. But so for me, again, what even separated my show when it got started was doing that, was talking to people who are actually listening to it. And that feedback led me ultimately, again, to what I ended up doing in podcasting. Oh, that's so cool. I remember uh, I was going to speak at PodFest one year and uh, it was in Florida. I guess it's always in Florida. And uh, so then I was chatting about it on my podcast and saying, hey guys, I'm so excited. I'm going to be a speaker there. So on, so on. Yeah. Reach out to me and we can connect. We can get together. And one of my listeners did. And she said, hey, I'd love to meet up with you. So we met up, up at a restaurant and I had talked to her and she had written a book. And she was interested in coaching. And I said, hey, let's meet at the restaurant. I'll interview you for the podcast. And she was like, oh, okay. And so we went to the restaurant and I took a couple of mics and, you know, and I just said, hey, just, it's just going to be relaxed. We're just going to have a conversation and I'll just edit it and we'll come up with a podcast. So uh, it was great meeting her. It was so much fun. And, and uh, I did the whole interview and chatted with her and everything. And then the next day she emailed me and she said, oh my gosh, Bruce, she said, you just can't publish that. And I said, what? It was great. Your book is awesome. You're doing well. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just not secure enough. I'm, I, I feel too nervous about it. You just please, please, please don't publish it. I said, okay, sure. That's no problem. But it was so much fun meeting up hmm. with her and just like being connected to one of my actual listeners, you know? I love that story. I don't even have one like that. Like getting to go to dinner with somebody that, that how cool is that? I, I think that that's so powerful. Like that, that really is the, the key to, not only that, like to, to bring it back to mindfulness mode, like it's being mindful. I found is a lot easier when I have people in my life that can speak into it because sometimes we actually even forget what, like what our superpower is, like how we actually add value to the world. But some of your friends and those around you, they can tell you. And so for you as a podcast host, having a listener meet up with you, I'm sure she reinforced some things and you're like, wow, I forgot that that's why I got into this or that's, that's, yeah. that's the value I'm adding, right? Like, yeah, for sure. Magical experience. How cool is that? Yeah, it was very magical. Yeah. It was really exciting. I, uh, I have done a lot of speaking and really enjoy it as you do. So, you know, it's just, it's just really cool. But just before you go on stage to speak, whether it's virtual or you're in person, what goes through your mind? What are some of the things you do to get in the moment to really use mindfulness to your advantage? Yeah, there's a few things I tell myself. One, I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for somebody else is the first thing. Because I found that I get really nervous when I'm speaking for Alex. So when I'm speaking for Alex Sanfilippo, I get nervous because then I feel like I have to deliver a presentation. It has to be stunning, right? And dazzling yeah. and all that. But when I say it's not for me, it's to influence the one person who's sitting there or watching or listening who needs me most. I take all the pressure off. Mm -hmm. it's it's no longer about the performance it's about can I actually help that one person who I know who needs me 
And so that's the first thing. And the way I always say it is like, do for one what you wish you could do for all and do it to serve somebody else instead of myself. And by just doing that alone, it's, it's made night and day difference. And, and the other thing that I do, there's, there's the second piece is, let's face it. I mean, Bruce, you've done a lot of speaking too. You probably get nervous, I'm guessing, right? Yes, like it, yes. I think that means you're human. It doesn't mean that like you're not an adequate speaker. And uh, sure. I think it was actually um, uh, Mark Twain said there's two types of speakers in the world, those that get nervous and those that are liars. And then he <laughs> said those are the only two speakers. And so for me, when I get nervous, uh, one of my speaking coaches taught me he said, Alex, convert nervousness to excitement. So anytime you start feeling nervous, say, I'm so excited about what I'm about to do. And something happens in your brain, and I'm not really into all, I don't know how all the chemicals work up there, right? But something starts happening that you actually convince yourself that you're just really excited about it. You're not nervous. And I'll tell you what, I deliver a much, Alex who's excited delivers a much better presentation than Alex who's nervous. And so again, remembering it's about people, not me. And showing up because I'm really excited to serve that one person has made just a huge difference on my ability. That that's a great tip. I really like that, Alex. Yeah, I remember. I well, I've done thousands of live uh, speeches and presentations, and for the first, I don't know, about the first hundred, I was like so scared that I didn't want to look at the audience. Like I would look just, just above, over them, just over them. So I thought, well, it's going to look like I'm looking at everyone, you know. And then I thought, okay, you just need to start looking at people, and. So then I learned to, and just just for a moment, you know, like I didn't want to freak people out by having them think <laughs> I was staring at them or something. But, you know, I'd look in this direction and just meet eyes just for an instant and look in that direction, meet eyes just for an instant. And I'd go, oh, my gosh, that person is really making eye contact with me. I can I can just keep maybe a little bit more eye contact, maybe for like a full second instead of just a third of a second, you know, and then I'd find that I was really able to connect with the whole audience better because I had that connection with several people in the audience. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And talking about mindfulness mode, that takes a lot because if someone's listening to this who hasn't done any public speaking, when you make eye contact with someone for one second on stage, it feels like a full minute. It does. And if you make eye contact with someone for a full minute, like that's awkward, right? So you <laughs> oh, have to yeah. like, overcome that, right? But like when you do, it is powerful. And typically the people, I've, I've learned this, uh, Bruce, and people who will come up to talk to me after I'm done speaking are the ones I made eye contact with, like on oh, a regular yeah. basis, because they felt that connection. And you've got to yeah. be mindful enough to to realize, okay, this doesn't feel awkward for them like it does for me. Yeah. And I remember having the fear that I would make eye contact with someone and they'd be kind of giving me a look like, oh, brother, not more. You know, <laughs> I was afraid of that. And then I thought, okay, Bruce, just get over that fear. Like, so what? You make eye contact and then they get up and leave and give you a thumbs down. Like, if that happens, it happens, you know? <laughs> it probably never happened though, right? I, I imagine no, it's never happened. No, no, but... I mean, I, I got, you know, a huge number of, of really uh, positive feedbacks, you know, but then every once in a while, somebody would say something that was not very positive. And then I had to realize, hey, I can use that for fuel to become better and to just realize that, hey, if there are people giving me feedback that isn't positive, that's, that's actually part of the success because when yeah. you're at that point where everything you hear is just positive, well, that's great. But when you start to hear the negative as well, then you realize that you've kind of passed a certain level. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, if we look at the world of sports, like let's look at I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back just a couple of years. Like I'm, I'm not like a huge sports guy, so it's probably not the best analogy, but it's very rare that a Super Bowl winning football team does it twice in a row. And it's because everyone's singing their praises. You crush it. You did so good. 
But we even saw at one point, it was just the last couple of years, we saw the Rams go from winning the Super Bowl to winning like three games. Because you can't do a whole lot with you all are the best, you crush it, you're so good. They literally went from the best, almost the worst, without changing anything. And the problem yeah. is they didn't change anything because there was no real feedback on what to change. It's the same with our lives in general, our work, our speeches, like anything we're going to do is very similar to that. If everyone's giving, singing your praises, can't do a whole lot with that, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you a question about bullying. Do you have any comments, thoughts, stories about bullying and maybe how it relates to mindfulness? Yeah, Bruce, I, I want to mention, I appreciate the work you've done in this space. I think that it's it's becoming more and more actively a world where that's something that that needs to be addressed. And Thanks. for me, I, I did think about this question because I knew that this was coming up. I wasn't necessarily directly bullied growing up or even as an adult or anything like that. But where I maybe had some, if, if you could consider this in some way, was in some of my relationships growing up with with like girlfriends and stuff like that. A lot of them end up being really manipulative. You know, mm -hmm. Like they would manipulate me a lot and I didn't even notice it or I would just kind of confine to it. And it got to the point where I was so scared of confrontation that anytime someone would buck up against me, uh, like even in business, I would immediately back down because I felt like it was going to end up bringing pain to me or discomfort. And that took me a long time to, to, to get over. And I don't know if I directly call that bullying, but I, I think it's at least some form because to me, it always felt that way. It was like, it was painful. And it, it's taken me years of, of mindfulness and exercise and coaching to be able to overcome that and just be willing to embrace a little bit of discomfort because of how negatively that affected me. And that, that, that was the extent. And I'm very thankful not to have had any like issues with anything physical or anything growing up that would really mess with me. But that was the one thing that really, I think, hindered me a lot. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Alex, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has been a really powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with, with two because one is like the automatic answer for a person of faith, but yeah. Jesus would be the yeah. first one. And that's because even if you like take faith, the religion, whatever you want to call it aside, if you just read the story of who Jesus was, and there's even like a TV series on it called The Chosen, you'll realize yes. that was a man on a mission. And I respect that side of it so much from day one, knew where he was going and lived a life that way. So I would say that's one of them. Somebody else who's been really powerful in that space is Brendan Bruchard. Mm -hmm. And he's just been very helpful around the idea of like upping your mindset. And what finally gave me the courage to leave aerospace after 15 years, because you, you start getting a lot of perks, not just the money. Right. But like mm -hmm. it, it creates a little of comfort. What finally gave me the courage to, to make that, that shift was something that Brendan Bouchard talked about. He was just talking about taking courage, being afraid and doing what you have to do anyway. I knew I had to do it, but that's someone that I want to say it really helped me a lot as an influence. Yeah. Yeah. He's an incredible guy. He's done amazing things for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about emotions. How has mindfulness changed the way you deal with your emotions? So it, it goes back to something I talked about having those people in your life that speak into you. Like they've helped me remain mindful about who I am and where I'm going. It, it's a really intentional effort for me to remember the direction I'm going in and, and where I want to end up in life. And I don't mean like ultimately, like I want to achieve this level of success, but no, like how do I want to continue to experience self-discovery and progress so I can better serve those around me. What's really helped me do this, again, is just making sure that I'm talking to the people in my life and I'm journaling. And those are the two things. Sometimes talking to myself through journaling, right? But mainly being around the right people that really speak into me so that I can really see, right? I can get that perspective and then making sure, again, I'm going back and journaling that. But that has been some stuff that's actually really helped me a lot. 
Let's talk about breathing. Do you have a comment about breathing or a technique or any thoughts about breathing as it relates to mindfulness? I've actually got a recent story about this. I, I was uh, attending a podcasting conference in Las Vegas and uh, my wife and another friend got me like a, a race car experience where I would drive a, a fast formula car on a track. So I'm like driving and you have a co-pilot, of course, a professional driver, right? Yeah. But we're going around, it, it's like turns and we were doing it real fast. I was like, I wanna, I wanna set a record, like let's do it, right? So like we, we went for it and clearly I didn't set a record, but I was moving real quick and he said some of these turns are equivalent to two Gs hitting you. And, wow. and then when you turn around this like last turn to where like you, you finish a lap and you're starting another one, it's like the straight way of it. And you can get up to like 160 miles on that, or at least that's what I could do. But the whole time around that straight way, he said, okay, breathe in really deep and then breathe out slow, breathe in, breathe out. And he was reminding me that, you know what, this is the only time you're actually going to have the chance to truly catch your breath on the entire track. So you want to be intentional with it. I tell that story because me in business, like most of us work behind computers now. And when stress starts hitting, you start falling behind on emails. You've got a pile of papers on your desk. We start panting without realizing it. Like we breathe really, really shallow. And I just remind myself, and that was another great reminder, to sit back and just deep breath. And if you do that, I, I don't know what it is, but and I'm, I'm not like it. I don't know all the brain stuff, like I said earlier. But you do that four or five times, my head actually feels different. Like it feels like I'm actually getting oxygen. And I've like, I've got a renewed energy. So breathing has been huge for me to be mindful with where I am and how I can continue to show up my best self instead of continue just to confine, 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 get more shallow, more shallow. So I know I said a lot there, but that's been really helpful for me. Yeah, no, I really agree with that. Are there any books related to mindfulness that you'd recommend? One that stands out among the rest is a book titled Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess by Dr. Caroline Leaf. And she oh. goes through what she calls the neurocycle. And it's just retraining your brain on some things that, that maybe you've had there, some junk, right? It's cleaning up that mental mess of things you've thought about for a long time. I put her book into practice about two years ago. And I'll tell you what, I've worked through some, I'd consider them somewhat serious issues. Again, going back to uh, being afraid to rock the boat because I've been manipulated so much, right? Like I was able to get through a lot of that just by going through this technique. So again, cleaning up your mental mess by Dr. Caroline Leaf. Okay, thanks. Yeah, we'll put that in our in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com, Mindful Tribe. So yeah, and uh, my last question is about an app and your app, which we can find, of course, at your website, we can get connected there, podpros.com uh, is pretty awesome. But are there any other apps that help you with mindfulness? You know, I knew, again, knew this question was coming. I'm the exact opposite. I go the no out rap. So like my I use an iPhone. And most people have their minds blown here. I have a total of eight apps on the phone, three of which you can't delete. And then past that, I have my calendar, my messages, the phone, music, and GPS. And then like there's the settings and all that stuff, right? That you can't, just can't get rid of. But I don't even access the internet. Like if you send me a link, I can't click it on my phone. Uh, I have no way to watch anything. I have no social media. I did that because I actually found that that the phone is so addictive for me and not everyone's like that, but I just can't help myself. And it takes me straight out of mindfulness mode into like vegetation mode, if you will. <laughs> so for me, the only app that's helped is having none of them and blocking all of them. Like I don't have the password to reinstall apps. My, my wife has that. And I've intentionally not learned that so that I, I, it keeps the temptation away. So that's the opposite of what everyone shares on your show, but it's really helped me a lot. Well, other people have shared that kind of thing too. And I really appreciate it because yeah, the answer to that question many times is my best app is no app at all. And right. phone yeah. At all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. Well, the episode that we're, uh, that we're on right now is called podcasting with purpose, focus, and success. So 
this is not part of my five five answers, five questions or anything like that, but uh, how important do you think purpose is when you're creating a podcast? For content creators in general, it's, it is beyond, I mean, it's, it's why you do it, right? I mean, I always say start with why. I know that's a, also the title of a book, but in general, I just mean start with your reason for doing it. The purpose of it is what makes it meaningful because I found that in, in podcasts or any form of any creative endeavor, what brings the result is the level of consistency. So if consistency is a, hor- a horizontal line, right? Just consistently mm-hmm. all the way across. Results start way below that line, but eventually over time, it overtakes the line of consistency and starts bringing you a true result that you can be proud of. But if you don't have purpose in it, I don't think you're going to last long enough. I, I know I wouldn't last long enough. So for me, starting with why, starting with the purpose of it, and then doing that consistently for a set period of time is what brings people to, to even where you are, Bruce. Like, I mean, your show is mindfulness mode is beyond successful in the podcasting space. Like you have done so well. That didn't happen from day one, I have to imagine eventually your level of consistency and devotion to the purpose that you have caught up with you and you started succeeding as a result. And, and that's my full thought around podcasting and being a creator in general. Yeah, it, it really does take a lot of focus and purpose and, and that kind of thing. And I know that you've all already talked about what can make a successful podcast, but uh, what are some, some just quick tips to really make sure that your podcast can be successful? Yeah, I think that something in today's world that many of us get wrong is we don't really offer clarity as to what the show is. So example, I was talking to somebody the other day and she's like, hey, I'm a new podcaster. I'm struggling with getting listenership. I'm like, okay, what's your show called? She called it, uh, I'm not going to use the actual name because I don't want to, you know, sure. I want to be mindful of that. Um, good word to use here, right? Um, yeah. She, she called it a show for Tiffany. Right. And the description didn't really explain much. And the titles of the episode were just her guest name. And I told her, I'm like, listen, I'm looking at your show. I don't know what it is, who it's for, what it's about. And she's like, oh, it's about like helping people get out of abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. And I should, I, I just told her, I'm like, listen, you should call the show how to get out of an abusive relationship or like, or, or some sort of like, um, I don't know, something like support for people in abusive relationships, something along those lines. Right. Mm-hmm. And then make the title of the episodes exactly what it's about. When you can do that, that tells me the person who's searching for podcast that it's for me versus a podcast for Tiffany, right? Like, I, I don't know what that means. And it, she just used a yeah. different name there, but it's very yeah. close to it. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I think the first tip is make it discoverable. You want people to be able to find what it is that you're looking for. Now, one more tip I'll give along those same lines is it's got to deliver on the promise. The number one reason people stop listening to podcasts or don't stay, they'll listen to one episode then they leave is if you don't deliver on the promise. So example, if, if we're, we're talking about podcasting here, right? We're talking about mindfulness, like in this space, if we talked about surfing, but the title of the episode was like how to become a great podcaster. And we talked about surfing the whole time. It doesn't deliver on the promise. And chances are you're breaking trust with the person listening. They're going to go find a podcast that actually covers what it is that they're looking for. So again, I think that being as descriptive as you can to explain what it is that you have and then delivering on the promise you made, that, that's a great way right there. That combination is a great way to build a show that's going to be able to grow. Consistency, again, being the, the actual foundation of making that happen. Yeah. That's great advice. Alex, it's been a real pleasure to have you on Mindfulness Mode. I really appreciate this. I'm so, so honored to have you here. So thank you very much for being a guest. Yeah, I'm honored to have been here, Bruce. You're doing, again, an amazing job. I'm so thankful to have been included in Mindfulness Mode, and I just love what you're doing here. So thank you. Thanks so much. Bye now. 
Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening to my episode today and thanks for subscribing to my YouTube channel if you've done that. I really appreciated it. I noticed that I do have more subscribers, so maybe that is you. I do appreciate it, like I said. You can go to uh, mindfulnessmode.com TV and that takes you directly to my YouTube channel. You can search it up on YouTube by putting in mindfulness mode podcast and i'd love to hear what you think of it i've got shorts on there we've got full episodes on there some of them are getting quite a few quite a few listens some of them not as many but uh always looking for feedback and you can send me feedback at bruce at mindfulnessmode.com so with that take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm focus and happiness stay in the mode